Every single year, you send all your managers to training to learn about the new laws. All the law firms put on seminars and so that our board members and our managing agents are all up to speed. Those changes are not automatically included in the governing documents. So it creates an, a misunderstanding from homeowners as to what they can and can't do, what the association can and can't do, because we have so many provisions now that are, notwithstanding what your governing documents say, this is the law. And we'd like to be able to bring those documents really up to the level where their enforcement is for real and we don't have to guess. Most people are not equipped to understand the seemingly endless facets of an HOA. That's why we're here, to help you become uncommonly prepared to serve your HOA. Whether you're a board member or a manager, join us in the Uncommon Area. Welcome to the Uncommon Area. I am Matthew Holbrook, and this episode is all about CCNRs. Uh, that may not seem like the most exciting topic, but uh, we are going to make it exciting. And uh, to do that, I am joined again by Sandra Gottlieb of Swedelson and Gottlieb. So appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for having me. We'll try and make it as sexy as we possibly can. Yeah, there you go. So um, just to start off on this, we said this is about CCNRs. Um, two things I think that would be helpful to begin with. One, what are CCNRs? And two, what's the difference between CCNRs and bylaws? And I'm sure you hear this as often as I do, where a board member uh, or a homeowner says, um, makes some reference to, well, that's in the bylaws or that's in the CCNRs. And they actually mean exactly the, the other. Right. Um, so what are CCNRs and how do they differ from bylaws? So CCNRs are covenants, conditions, and restrictions. So how you do what you do. The covenant is a promise. So the CCNRs are actually a contract. So it's a promise by a homeowner that I will abide by these terms and conditions. And it's a promise by an association that they will enforce them and provide the flip side of that compliance for the homeowners. The bylaws are operational. This is the authority to take the actions that the associations and the board of directors takes, how boards get into office, how meetings happen. So that's the operational part. And they really are very distinct documents. They are. So helpful, um, helpful framework, I think, for people to remember your, your bylaws are operational. How does the association operate? Your CCNRs are the contract that says what the association's obligations are to homeowners and what the homeowner's obligations are to the association. Okay, you're going to put me out of a job, but that's exactly correct. Well, I was just saying what you said. <laughs> so with that, um, is it fair to say, and I don't know if this language is correct, but uh, so I'll let you clean this up. But um, we often talk about the CCNRs, covenants, conditions, and restrictions, that keyword covenants, you say promise, um, and it's, 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 it's a promise in the sense that it's a contract. Right. But it really functions as two one-way contracts in the sense that a homeowner has an obligation to the association, whether or not the association fulfills its obligation. And the association has an obligation to the homeowner, whether or not the homeowner fulfills their obligation. Is that a fair way to, to state that? You're right almost all the time. So as it 
pertains to assessments, it's a one-way street. There's never a right to offset. So if the association owes the homeowner money, the homeowner can, can't can say, I'm not going to pay my assessments because you owe me $12. My assessments are $10, so I don't have to pay you. No matter what, the homeowner still has to pay their $10. As it relates to their obligations under the governing documents, if the association is breaching, so for example, there's architectural guidelines in the CCNRs, maybe there's standalone policy as well, but there's enough meat in the CCNRs, and the association association is playing favorites. Some have to comply and some don't have to comply. We have situations where homeowners are saying, we put in, we're not getting approved, but all my neighbors with the same applications are, we're going forward. Is that defensible? We'll find out in litigation. Yeah. So I would argue in that case, that's still the obligation of the association to live up to its contractual obligation to the homeowners. And if the, if the association is not living up to that, uh, to that obligation. Um, now you, you could have that, uh, uh, that situation where you're in court and you're going to have to sort out what is the fair application of that contract in this situation. Right. I think that's true. And then it's a question of liability. So let's just state this in, um, in other ways, um, so that we have clarity. And I know we want to get to some other things here on this, on the subject, but for clarity here, a, uh, a homeowner has an obligation to pay their assessments even if they don't like what the association is doing, or even if they think that the association is not fulfilling its obligations. Correct. The CCNRs. Correct. The association has an obligation to fulfill its obligations to the homeowner, even if the homeowner is not paying their assessments. So example, um, homeowner doesn't pay their assessments. The association, and correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't have the right to say, we're not going to maintain the landscape on the slope behind your home because you're not paying your assessment. So we're not that the association couldn't do that. No, they couldn't. There are other avenues for compliance that the association could implement. However, there are governing documents that say if the homeowner is not paying their assessments, they don't have the right to apply for an architectural application to make a modification to their home or their landscaping front right. or back. So that, that's why I said before that you're almost always correct, but there are certain things that are triggers that would excuse the association. But those would be defined in the contract. They would be. In this, I'm saying contract, but in the CCNRs. Right. So for example, you could have, uh, you're delinquent on your assessments. You may not be able to run for the board in certain documents, correct? Correct, because the statute has limitations on qualifications, that could be one. Um, or you don't pay your assessments and you could have your FOB turned off for access to the rec room. After a noticed hearing before the board and it's taken away right. as a right. Well, I'm glad you're specifying what the process <laughs> is, but that could ultimately happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the point is, is that CCNRs are a contract between the homeowners and the association. There are obligations on both sides and those obligations generally need to be fulfilled regardless of what the other party does. Correct. Um, now, what we really wanted to talk about is oftentimes these documents, CCNRs, are not reflective of current situations. Can you speak to that a little bit and what an association should consider in that regard? So we have a CCNRs that are literally from the 50s and 60s. And boards will say, do you think we should modify these or restate them or amend them? So the Davis-Sterling Act was codified in 1985. And there have been a 100 changes of subs substance, not including all the renumbering that happened in 2014 that have completely changed the playing field. So those governing documents are obsolete, but people don't understand what their rule book is. They don't know that they shouldn't rely on those CCNRs 
alone. And so we take the position that they don't have to be restated all the time. You should look at them every 10 years for amendment or restatement, but sometimes you do. And when board members say, oh, that's just something that you're saying as the attorney, we're saying, no, that's not it. It goes to governance and to make sure that our boards and our homeowners are in compliance, that everybody has the tools to live in this community in a very productive way. It doesn't just apply to this board. It applies to this board and future boards of directors as well. Yeah. So you're using a term that, um, in my experience, I don't come across a lot with, uh, with boards, and that is restatement. So talk to me about the difference between amending your CCNRs, restating your CCNRs, and how should a board consider which route should they go? So first of all, the an answering the last question first, it really depends on how old the CCNRs are and how off base you are with the current law as to whether or not you need to amend or restate. But as a primer, restatement means going in and completely redoing the documents. So there you start with the base of this is the current status of the law, both under the Davis-Sterling Act, Corporations Code, Vehicle Code, Health and Safety Code, all the codes that apply to associations. And you bring that base document, let's say it's about 35% of the document, up to speed. And then the rest of it is a living, breathing reflection of this community. And it depends if there's governance issues, if the board has trouble enforcing the existing CCNRs, we may have to restate them. And whether you're restating the CCNRs or amending them, the process for, for approving them is exactly the same? Well, it is, except when you're amending them, you could choose what you want off of the menu. You may right. have 19 amendments and you could choose eight. And the way they're all written, is they're independent of the other. When you vote on a restatement, it's all or nothing. So although the voting process is the same, the impact is very significant. I see. So when you're amending, you could have some portions approved and other portions not. But if you're restating, it's it's all or nothing. Correct. And that process, I know it can differ from association to association, depending on how the CCNRs are written. But generally, what is an association looking at as far as the approval process? So if everybody is really committed to it, it's six to nine months at the longest. We take the position that an association's board is making a mistake if they don't get these documents to the homeowners in a draft form before they see it for the first time with a ballot, especially if it's a restatement. Because if you have 60% of the homeowners that are against a anti-smoking provision and you leave that in, those documents are going to fail and we have time and money that was wasted. So I really encourage our boards to put us out there Give us a town hall. Let us answer those questions and come back to you with suggestions to make sure that we have a successful um, election. And that's why I push it out to nine months. But it's really up to the board. And I know what I'm going to say now is very similar to other firms. When we're retained, we send out a questionnaire that really could make your eyes roll. But the whole idea is to be creating a document that's this community's document as opposed to any planned development or any right. high rise. And so it takes time to answer the question, do you want to do this or do you want to do this? And if you say this, then we ask, okay, then do you want to do this, this, and this, or this and this? So it's really reflective of this association. Yeah. The two underlying themes of what you just said, one, um, this is not, you said it's, it's really up to the board of directors. What you mean is, is how they shape, market, sell, get in, uh, involvement in the CCNRs because this is not a decision of the board to approve the CCNRs restated or amended or not. 
it's a vote of the whole membership. Correct. Right? And so that requires that requires a marketing and a sales process. And this is where you're referring to the, the, the town hall and an opportunity to solicit questions, give answers, give feedback, make sure people feel that they've been heard and to be able to incorporate that into the process so that when you put something out for a vote, which is not inexpensive, the whole process, right. um, you have a, you have a good chance of having that approved. Um, and the second point that you, that's really underlying what you were saying is there is a commitment involved, especially of the board members and the management company in this case can only take you so far because it's, this is what board members are elected to do to represent their community, making sure that what is put into these kinds of documents in this scenario is reflective of the community. And so there's, there's some work and some commitment that's involved and it's, um, it's not just going to happen. It's the, an arduous point. process. You have, they have to be dedicated to it. When I talk to boards about going through this process, I tell them how much time they're going to be spending yeah. on this so that they really have a realistic time frame for their own lives about what the commitment's going to be because that's on top of governance. Yeah. And it's an important, uh, it, it's an important undertaking and there's value to the community, but this is probably out of out of everything that happens in an association, this might be the one thing that like very specifically falls on the shoulders of board members. That's difficult for them to delegate the work portion. A lot of the other things they can, they can make decisions, delegate work to right. others. This is one where the board members really need to be committed to and involved in. I think that it's an, it's an absolute. They do have yeah. to be committed to it, even if they have a committee. So a larger community might have a focus group, a committee that's advising the board, and we should do this, we should do right, this on right. maintenance. But still, ultimately, it's the board of directors that's, is going to make the decision of what the attorney is going to draft in those documents. Yeah. Um, one question just on the mechanics of this. Um, you restate CCNRs. Do you have to physically mail out the whole packet of CCNRs to every single homeowner? How come every time I talk to you, I'm going to get in trouble with the law? So you're supposed to, but I don't think that you need to. You could put it online. You could email it. You can do it digitally. I think that um, technology has far surpassed approvals for associations. We always say, if you want it in paper, please let us know. If you want it on a drive, let us know. However you want us to get it to you. But the cost to an association to yeah. mail out those documents is really exorbitant. And so we really have taken the position. We were one of the first firms that said we're doing it this way. And fortunately, it's worked. Yeah. Well, that's great. Anything else that we should know about in, in, uh, in this conversation about CCNRs? I want to be fair. I think there's frequently boards will get pushback from homeowners who think our board members have some hidden agenda in wanting to change the governing documents instead of really what it is, which is to bring it up to date. Uh, and what I say to those people is every single year, you send all your managers to training to learn about the new laws. All the law firms put on seminars and so that our board members and our managing agents are all up to speed. Those changes are not automatically included in the governing documents. So it creates an, a misunderstanding from homeowners as to what they can and can't do, what the association can and can't do, because we have so many provisions now that are notwithstanding what your governing documents say, this is the law. And we'd yeah. like to be able to bring those documents really up to a, the level where their enforcement is for real and we don't have to guess. I think also um, I'm seeing uh, that there are um, 
I don't know if this is the right word, but there are cultural considerations into the CCNRs. And what I mean by that is more contemporary versus, um, versus in the past and specifically how things have changed through COVID. So one of the, one of the areas where I've seen um, this play out is you have CCNRs that are written for a community uh, that are, uh, honestly, that are written by the developer and the developer has certain objectives in mind in the writing of those CCNRs that may benefit the, the homeowners at that time. But now we go through COVID and one of the primary demographic changes that has resulted is we have way more people working from home today than before. Well, that changes what's happening in a homeowners association. And I guess what I'm taking a while running up to is the definition of commercial vehicles I'm finding is a hot topic of discussion. And a lot of uh, associations have uh, their CCNRs written in a way that prohibits any kind of commercial vehicle, but that standard or that definition of what constitutes a commercial vehicle may not be realistic for certain communities where they have people that are working from home and they may have a sticker on the side of their of their um, uh, nor, uh, you know, uh, a truck or whatever it might be, a, a normal passenger truck um, that advertises their business. And, and you can have some communities where that's a large population in the community and the, the community says, we're okay with that right. overall, but their documents don't allow for it. That would be the kind of thing that just, that culturally may have changed in a community. I think it's tremendously changed. And, and needs to be, and can be addressed through a restatement or an amendment to, to CCNRs. Um, and it's, so it's not just, I guess my point is it's not just catching up to what current laws are. There can be other dynamics in a community that say, that say this provision should be relooked at. Well, and, and that applies also just to follow through with your point, home businesses yeah. and what prohib prohibitions are. Can you have delivery of packages? I mean, every day I come home and there's packages inside my front door for somebody who lives in my home or is stopping by. And so imagine, multiply that for how many people yeah. live in an association and then nuisance provisions. We are modifying nuisance provisions by amendment and CCNRs daily literally daily yeah. because the complaints are so great. The protections are not clear and people are home. They're staying home. Yeah. And that, that affects the CCNRs. And so they need to be looked at through that light. Exactly. Yeah. So we have governance issue. We don't want our boards to be in a position of not enforcing the governing documents right. because that exposes them to liability for the person who's feeling aggrieved. So to put that another way, a board can't say, we don't like this provision. So we're just going to wink at it. And we're going to enforce everything else that puts the board in a precarious situation as to even their authority and leverage to enforce everything else. Right, because that failure to enforce can be on that one issue. Right, yep. All right, well, anything else on CCNRs? No, I think we're good. All right, well, thank you so much, Sandra, and I hope that that was helpful to those watching and listening. And again, I would encourage you to check out other episodes of The Uncommon Area.